This morning we're going to be considering being blessed of God, blessed of God. And we're looking at Luke chapter 11, verses 27 and 28. So, Luke chapter 11, verse 27. And it came to pass, as he spake these things, a certain woman of the company lifted up her voice and said unto him, Blessed is the womb that bare thee, and the paps which thou hast sucked. But he said, Yea, rather blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. The last time we looked at Luke's Gospel, it was seen that the Lord Jesus Christ cast out a demon or an evil spirit. That resulted in people wondering if he is the son of David. In other words, if he is the promised Messiah or the Christ. However, there were others in the crowd who accused Jesus of casting out demons through the power of Beelzebub, that is the devil. Jesus then proceeded to expose the illogic and the stupidity of them attributing his casting out of devils to the prince of the devils. Following on from that, in today's passage, a certain woman who was in the crowd raised her voice and she praised the woman who gave birth to Jesus, referring to her as blessed. Jesus then corrected her by saying, Yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. So, first of all, let's consider the woman's words. Look again at verse 27. And it came to pass, as he spake these things, a certain woman of the company lifted up her voice and said unto him, Blessed is the womb that bare thee, and the paps which thou hast sucked. In John's Gospel, there's an account of the Sanhedrin that was the highest Jewish authority in the land. And the Sanhedrin sent out the temple police to arrest the Lord Jesus Christ. However, they returned empty-handed and they said to their masters, never spake man like this man. They'd never heard anything like it before. The words that proceeded from the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's hardly surprising, is it, when you consider that Jesus at the grave of Lazarus, he simply said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus rose from the dead. As for for today's passage, like the temple police, The woman was also clearly impressed by what she had heard coming from the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And no doubt she was impressed by his ability to cast out the demon. Having been so impressed by what she'd seen and heard, the woman heaped praise, not so much on Jesus, but on the womb that carried him and the breasts that fed him. In other words, although... That woman did hold Jesus in high esteem. Her her praise was directed towards Mary, whom she called blessed. Because Mary had produced such a wonderful son. Maybe that woman would have loved to have had Jesus as her own son. 
And more than that, perhaps she was one of those people who wondered if Jesus is the Christ. That woman saw something of how wonderful Jesus is. Now, as for all of you who know Jesus as your saviour from sin and as your Lord, you see him through the eye of faith and you can testify that Jesus is truly wonderful. He is wonderful in his person, as God, as man. He's wonderful in his virgin birth, in his work of redemption, and he is wonderful in his love for you. This is These are things that that woman, at least at that time, she couldn't see. She was too busy praising the, 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 the woman who carried Jesus in her womb and fed him with her breasts when he was a baby. You praise God that Jesus, he is so wonderful that he was wounded for your transgressions, that he was bruised for your iniquities. You praise God because Jesus was raised again for your justification. You don't worship a dead Jesus, do you? You have a risen saviour who is coming again. And you say, even so, come Lord Jesus. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. You have a Jesus who is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, where he ever lives to make intercession for for you. Can you imagine that? Jesus continually interceding for you. He's not praying to his Father for your salvation. You have that already. But he is praying, or praying to his Father, or petitioning his Father to keep you from the evil. The evil of this world, the, the devil, and of course, your own flesh. All these things that would seek to distract you and make you stumble and fall. When it comes to Mary, whom that woman was exalting, back in chapter 1 of Luke's Gospel, Mary was pregnant with Jesus and she visited Elizabeth, who was pregnant with John the Baptist. Elizabeth spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy holy womb. Like the woman in today's passage, Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, acknowledged that Mary was blessed by God. Who could argue with that? Furthermore, she acknowledged that the baby in Mary's womb was blessed. In fact, the blessed Son of God is the object of his Father's delight and he ought to be the focus of our thoughts, each one of us here. He ought to be the focus of our desires and he ought to be our greatest love of all. In today's passage, Jesus responded to what the woman said about the mother of Jesus being blessed by referring to a far greater blessing, an infinitely greater blessing. Secondly, we'll look at what Jesus said to her. Look at verse 28. But he said, Yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. 
In verse 27, the woman had drawn attention to the blessing that was conferred by God upon just one person, the mother of Jesus. However, in verse 28, the Lord Jesus Christ draws attention to a blessing that is conferred by God, not just upon one person, but upon a whole multitude of people from all nations and kindreds and people and languages. And it is a blessing that is vastly superior to the honour that was given to Mary, as unique as that blessing was and as great as that blessing was. Although Jesus didn't mention his name at all in verse 28, the blessing that he referred to is that of knowing him. Knowing him as your saviour from sin and of having him dwell in your heart by faith. When Mary was pregnant with Jesus and she had baby Jesus in her womb, she was aware of that far greater blessing the blessing that Jesus speaks of in verse 28. That can be seen in chapter 1, verse 46 and 47, where Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit have rejoiced in God my Saviour. I'll say that last bit again. My spirit have rejoiced in God my Saviour. Bearing in mind that back in chapter 1, the angel Gabriel had already said to Mary, Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. And also bearing in mind that the name Jesus means Jehovah is salvation. When Mary said, My spirit have rejoiced in God my Saviour, she was praising God for his plan of salvation through Jesus, whom she was carrying in her womb. In verse 28, Jesus directs our attention to the word of God, which is the whole Bible in general, and the gospel in particular. When he speaks of the word of God, what can be said about the word of God? Much. For one thing, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Think about it, all of you Christians in here. How did you come to faith in Jesus? Did he just magic that faith down from heaven? Or was it when you heard the preaching of the gospel, perhaps, from the word of God? Or maybe at Sunday school? where your Sunday school teachers were teaching you from the word of God? Or if you've got godly parents, your mother or your father teaching you from the word of God. It's the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. There's power in that word. It is because it is precisely the word of God. We are born again by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. God the Holy Spirit applies the word of God, which is truth, to men's hearts with power to save them to the uttermost. For the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. 
The Apostle Paul said precisely that in Romans chapter 1. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And so it is that God appoints preachers to proclaim his infallible and timeless word. And blessed are all those hearts that are open to receive and attend to what is being said. Perhaps even today in here, as you hear the word of God being proclaimed, my prayer is that God would open your hearts to open uh, open your hearts to attend to what is being said, so that the word doesn't just go in one ear and out the other, or just bounce off you. In the parable of the sower, the sower cast his seed into various types of ground. The seed is the word of God. Jesus said that. And the ground refers to men's hearts. In that parable, Jesus said, He that receives seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word, the word of God, and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit, and bringeth forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Therefore, a a, a real Christian, a born-again Christian, is someone who, having heard and understood the word of God, brings forth the fruit of salvation. In other words, their faith is visible. It's seen in the fruit that they bring forth. A hundredfold, sixty or thirtyfold. Varying degrees of fruit are brought forth by all of those who receive the seed, the word of God, into fertile soil, into hearts that have been opened by God to attend to his truth. And it's reasonable to expect a Christian to bring forth fruit. If you understand the parable of the sower, you'll see that to be the case. Seed was scattered all over the place, different types of soil, but it was only the seed that was scattered onto the good soil that brought forth fruit. And that depicts the Christian, the born-again Christian, someone chosen by God in eternity. And then in the fullness of time, that person is called with an irresistible call to Jesus. And he attends to the things that are being said. You know what I mean if you're Christian. And even as I'm speaking now, I remember when it first meant something to me. As a kid, I used to sing the hymns at school. I even went carol singing at Christmas time. But that was only to make a bit of money. It meant nothing to me, singing those lovely Christmas carols. I even learnt them word perfect to sing out when I was annoying people outside their homes. It was only later, much later, in my case when I was 36, that God opened my heart to attend to his truth, the word of God, which was sown in my heart. Again, you know what I mean, if you're Christian. And the consequence is, we bring forth fruit. Fruit of the Spirit. It's inevitable As for what that fruit is, we're told in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, 
long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness and temperance. That fruit, or those fruits, are the dispositions of all true Christians to varying degrees. It's something you all have as a Christian. A, a, a level of love, joy, peace. That joy and that peace, for example, it's of divine origin. Jesus gives to you that joy and that peace. And so... It's not a joy and a peace that is here today and gone tomorrow. It's a joy and a peace that keeps you during the various afflictions that you, that come your way and times of great sorrow. But even when you have great sorrow in your life, there is still that inner joy and peace through knowing Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace and who gives you his joy. Again, that's the fruit of the Spirit. One would expect to see it in all true believers. Coming back to verse 28 now, the reason that I mention the fruit of the Spirit and give you, and I've just given you a bit of a, a, re, a, a recap or a lesson on the fruit of the Spirit, that fruit which is inevitably brought forth by all who are savingly united to Jesus is to help you to understand that all who belong to Jesus will inevitably not only hear the word of God, such as today, but you'll keep it. Again, it won't just go in one ear or out the other. It won't just bounce off you. You'll keep it as well, thereby showing yourselves to be in Christ and not just blessed, but blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Again, it's an inevitability. Coming back to the fruit, you, dear Christian, you are a living branch in the vine, the true vine, whose name is Jesus. Think about that vine. All those branches, there are dead branches as well. But you, you're a, you're a, a, um, a living branch. And just as a, a branch in a vine continually draws on the sap of the vine, you as a Christian, a new creature in Christ, a living branch, you draw on his grace continually. And as a branch, you're not just a bare branch, you bring forth fruit, not just a few leaves or maybe one or two buds, but, or some nice pretty flowers, you bring forth fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. And coming back to keeping, uh, hearing and keeping the Word of God that Jesus talks about in verse 28. Again, it's an inevitability. It's not something you do slavishly as one who is seeking to earn your salvation. Not at all. You hear the word of God, you keep the word of God precisely because you are saved by his grace. And you do so, you you keep the word joyfully, willingly, as you praise the God of your salvation who loved you and who gave himself for you. Do you? I trust you do. 
The world is full of people who strive to earn God's blessing by attempting to establish a righteousness before God through obedience to the law. I'm I'm thinking of Islam at the moment, but um, not just Islam. Many people, millions, billions of people in this world are seeking to establish their own righteousness before God through obedience to the laws or, or the five pillars of Islam, for example. Various things that people do in order to earn drowning points with God, so much so that, they, that he'll open the door of heaven to them as of something that they deserve. The problem with that is that there is none righteous, no, not one, for all have sinned, all come short of the glory of God. And what that means is that you and I have as much chance of establishing our own righteousness before God as a pig has of cleaning itself when it's rolling around in the mud. Not a chance. That's something that the Jews were guilty of doing. As the Apostle Paul said about them, they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Paul then went on to explain what the righteousness of God is. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. That means that we stand before a holy and righteous God, accepted in the beloved, clothed in his righteousness. The righteousness of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who lived a sinlessly perfect life. And he was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, where he took upon him the curse of the law. And where you, dear Christian, uh, had your, your iniquities laid upon him. And he bore your sins in his body when he was nailed to that cross. And then we're told... I was talking about this last Wednesday at the Bible study. He was laid in a grave, but then on the third day, he was raised again for your justification. I said earlier, we don't have a dead saviour. We have a living saviour. And he is our righteousness before God. That living saviour who makes intercession for you at the right hand of the throne of God. But it's all about Jesus. And this is what people need to understand. They must understand. For there is only one name under heaven given unto men whereby we must be saved. It's the name of Jesus. Consequently, only those of you who are trusting in Christ are righteous. No one else in this world is righteous. Your acceptance before God is and always will be in his beloved son. You no longer wear the filthy rags of self-righteousness. 
The Lord has clothed you with garments of salvation. He has covered you with the robe of righteousness. And just as a Christian inevitably brings forth good fruit that we looked at earlier, brings forth good fruit such as love, joy and peace to varying degrees, he also inevitably hears and keeps the word of God as a new creature in Christ, saved by the grace of God. I'd say it's inevitable. It doesn't make sense that someone would claim to be a Christian and have no regard for hearing and hearing the, the Lord Jesus Christ and keeping his word. It doesn't make sense to me. Dear Christian, I trust that you, of all people in the world, delight in God's law, even though you would be the first to admit that you most certainly have not reached sinless perfection. I don't know how long you've been a Christian in here. Some of you have been Christian for many decades. And I'm pretty sure that you would not admit to having reached sinless perfection. In other words, you still do the things that you, sh- you, you ought not to do. And you don't always do the things that you ought to do. And that will continue to be the case until finally the Lord delivers you from the presence of sin. Even so, you delight after God's law inwardly. You do. You're like the, uh, oh I trust you are, like the psalmist in Psalm 1 who, whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. That wasn't just for the Old Testament. We don't have to say, we don't have to qualify that statement. You know, read Psalm 1 and qualify it by saying, yeah, 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 but that was Old Testament. It's not for now. Not at all. It's the word of God liveth and abideth forever. That is something to take on board for now. If you're born again Christian, you delight in the law of God. Either that or you throw it in the bin. Or you very carefully, you know, Exodus chapter 20, when the commandments were given, carefully tear it out of your Bible and throw it away. We don't, do we? Because it is the word of God. God's laws. We hate the laws, or at least many of the laws, that are enacted in uh, by our legislators. I do at any rate. I can't stand some of the laws. The laws that make it easy for women to kill their babies. I hate that law. I hate the law that's being considered at the moment to, uh, to, to euthanasia. But when we're talking about God's laws, that's a different thing altogether. God is perfect and so are his laws. I don't see, say that in any legalistic way. I say that as a new creature in Christ. So, just as uh, the Christian inevitably brings forth fruit, good fruit, so too does he inevitably hear and keep the word of God. 
I hope you can see that the blessing that Jesus refers to in verse 28 is vastly greater than the blessing that is spoken of by the woman in the previous verse, in verse 27. Again, sure, the mother of Jesus, Mary, she was truly blessed amongst women. Blessed in that she carried the Lord Jesus Christ, baby Jesus, in her womb. But the blessings of verse 28, those who hear and keep the word of God, in other words, born-again Christians, people trusting in Jesus. To be a born-again Christian is not just to have one blessing, but to have every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. doesn't get any better than that. The Roman Catholic Church cannot see it. the, The things I'm talking about this morning, they can't see it. Or they can't hear it, or both. Their focus is fixed on verse 27. And the Blessed Mary, whom they venerate. That's clear in their Hail Mary song, which has the words, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. It's all about Mary, isn't it? I'm sure Mary, she wouldn't, she would not want them to be saying that. Mary, who was spirit rejoiced in God, her Saviour, would not want anyone to say those words. That song makes no mention of verse 28, which speaks of the far greater blessing of hearing and keeping the word of God as a born-again Christian. And that has eternal consequences, keeping, hearing and keeping the word of God. Thirdly, we'll consider that Jesus is the word of God. In the first chapter of John's Gospel, Jesus is introduced to the reader as the Word. For example, John chapter 1, verses 1 through to 3, and then we drop down to verse 14. It is written, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. This is the Word. All things were made by the Word, who was God. And without him was not anything made that was made. And then in verse 14, the word was made flesh. That gives it away, doesn't it? Who is the word? Who is the word who was with God and is God and who made all things? And then was made flesh. It's Jesus, isn't it? The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Where else will you get anyone who is full of grace and truth? Jesus is the only one. You won't find it in this world, that's for sure. Therefore, being a hearer and a keeper of the word of God starts with trusting in the word who is God and who became flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where it all starts for you. Hearing the word of God, keeping the word of God, starts when you hear Jesus, the the word who became flesh. Finally, 
in John chapter 10. You don't have to turn to all these things, I'll read it to you. John chapter 10, verse 27 through to 30. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. Did you get that? My sheep hear my voice. In verse 28 in our passage today, he's speaking about blessed are they that hear the word of God. And in John chapter 10, he says, my sheep hear my voice. Him, the word that became flesh, they hear him. I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. That defines the person who hears the word of God and who keeps it. He or she is someone who day by day hears the voice of Jesus in the scriptures and joyfully follows him having been baptised according to his word, the word of God. May God's blessing be upon each one of you know it as people who know the word and who keep it. In Jesus' name, Amen.